Welcome to the Draft Nut Podcast. It's Jared Feinberg and Devin Jackson of Blue Chip Scouting, and we are your hosts for today's episode of the show. Devin, good evening. I hope you're doing well. Ready to talk about some draft prospects and also talk about Kyler Murray for a little bit as well. Yeah, big news uh, for him. You know, seemed like uh, they were getting close to you know, possibly trading him, but, um, you know, they get a deal done and lock him in. And, you know, it's uh, we're about like a month and probably five or six weeks out from the start of college football season, which is exciting. So, uh, you know, really uh, starting to ramp up the, the coverage here in the last month or so and uh, getting some guys watch. Um, before we get started, I – um, I want to give a, sh- give a shout out to two of our now, sadly, former Blue Chip Scouting colleagues, um, Dante Colinelli and Mike Hernshin. I mis- I mispronounced your last name, Mike. I'm sorry. I know you're probably going to listen to this. You're going to kill me for it. I know. But I love you. I love you two guys. Um, I, You know, those two have been some of the core pieces for – for our website and also they've provided some excellent content over the last couple of years and they've gotten some bigger opportunities uh, down the road and and right now as of this moment and you know I, I'm I'm just incredibly proud of them. Devin is too. Um, Mike and Devin did their final Big Shots podcast Friday. Um, it, it was definitely bittersweet. Um, and I, I was just like smiling ear to ear listening to the whole episode because I was like, damn, that this is it. This is crazy. Uh, and, and I'll go miss Mike's content for sure. Um, but he, he's doing something that he loves doing, um, something that is giving him an opportunity to succeed in life. Um, I, I, I do hope that maybe one day Mike can come back and grind out some content, um, miss him and and you know he's still going to be in the in the blue chip scouting group chat he's still going to be with us i mean we're a very tight group dante as well um we're, we're definitely looking forward to the future here at blue chip scouting and we're very very fortunate to have had mike and dante with blue chip scouting and we wish them the best of luck and can't wait to continue to talk trash to each other so very much, very much looking forward to the future, as well as the future of the Draft Nut podcast. And um, for the both of us, Devin, um, very much looking forward to what the future may hold for all of us. All right. Let's go ahead and talk about Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray got paid. He got paid five years. Two thirty and a half million dollar contract. That includes a twenty nine million dollar signing bonus. It's one hundred sixty million guaranteed, and his the average annual salary is forty six point one million. And he'll be a free agent in twenty twenty nine. Um, you know, I I talked about this. I, I talked about Kyler Murray. Kind of gave my quick thoughts on it for a recent article on Blue Chip Scouting yesterday or on Thursday. And, you know, I, I I honestly like the move, but it's just more like, 
there's that risk that there's a couple risks. One, it could end up flopping completely, and Murray's just like he he never really kind of like takes that next step to become a true elite quarterback in this league. And then there's the risk of hey, maybe he falls back. I mean, he's still he still likes baseball, but what if he decides all of a sudden he wants to go back and play baseball with the Oakland Athletics or the Las Vegas Athletics if they decide to move? Like, there's risk involved in that contract. And so, Devin, I kind of want to know your thoughts on this. There is risk with this, but what exactly do you think is, in your opinion, what do you think are the major benefits with this contract? It sounds like from what I've read in over the last 24 hours, it's it seems like it's a team-friendly deal in some ways. Well, I think for the, the Cardinals, uh, you look at, at it as you try and set the market, you know, because if, if you waited in, well into the season or after the season, uh, you run the risk of uh, Lamar Jackson getting paid or, uh, you know, another young quarterback getting an extension. And that means more money that's, that's coming out of the organization's pocket, uh, trying to pay him uh, that exorbitant amount. So to me, I, I don't dislike the deal. I think the Cardinals are, I mean, it, this is as good as it's going to be for a while. You know, if you, I try to think about long-term, you know, because if they move on from Kyler Murray or would have moved on, where do you turn? You know, like your team really isn't bad enough to uh, get, you know, one of those top 10, top 15 picks in the NFL draft already, you know, you're trying to build a winner. Why not pay your young quarterback? And it seems like, you know, if they're going to keep Murray around, they're probably going to keep uh, <clears throat> Cliff Kingsbury as well. <clears throat> so I think for them, you know, it, it, I think it makes sense. You know, like he hasn't been able to, I don't think he's produced necessarily uh, the amount of money he's, he got in that deal. But I think the potential was there, obviously. And for whatever reason, it seems like after the first half of the season, he kind of drops off, whether it's from injury or, you know, the scheme doesn't, you know, isn't as good. So I think for, for Murray, I'm, being able to see a full 17 games worth of production uh, consistency, I think is going to be big for uh, the value of his contract. Because if he plays up to, you know, his ability – in two, three years, you might get another extension, you know, or, yeah. or get, get a restructure. So I think for, for the Cardinals, you get in, you do the deal now before Lamar's uh, extension comes because it's, it's coming at some point. Um, and, and, and some of these other younger quarterbacks, Justin Herbert, he's going to have to get paid here in the next couple of years as well. Um, when you think about young quarterbacks, ascending young quarterbacks in NFL. So I think it makes sense for, for – the Cardinals uh, deal wise, just got to see him play up to that ability. And, you know, obviously missing DeAndre Hopkins for, I think it's six games, uh, you know, due to suspension is, is going to hurt, but it's going to really show, you know, how valuable he is in, in those first few weeks or first six, seven weeks uh, without his top target and see what, what Murray's able to do. I just want to get this out of the way. Cliff Kingsbury is a very bad head coach. Um. Yeah, it, it. I don't. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is a good coach at all. Like, sure, the Cardinals have gotten off to great stars, but they never. They can never ever 
put it together towards the end of the season. And I don't know if it's just weird Cardinals history as of like the 2010s or something, but they just can never like put things together. Like 2014 started out really well. Then they collapsed towards the end of the year and then lost to uh, a Carolina Panthers team that made the playoffs with a losing record. Then 2015, they had a great season. Fell apart in the playoffs in the NFC Championship game against Carolina. And then when they made the playoffs again, what was it? I think it was like 20, it was 2019? No, it was last year. Yeah, it was it was last year or 2020. Started off well, then they finished eight and eight. Like they couldn't they started out five and two. They couldn't get they couldn't stay consistent. Last season, started out seven and oh. They were off to an amazing start. Finished four and six. Lost terribly to the Los Angeles Rams, who went on to win the Super Bowl. But it, it I do think Kyler Murray can be an elite quarterback. I really do. I, I think the talent is there. The consistency needs to be there, though. It needs to he needs to play more consistent, but at the same time, I think Cliff Kingsbury in a way holds him back in some way because he's just like like even in college, Cliff Kingsbury, Texas Tech gets off to a good start and then they fall apart towards the end of the year. Like I don't I, I don't know. I, I really don't know why this keeps happening. And I feel like it's just like Cliff Kingsbury's not adjusting. He's just not adjusting towards the end of the season. And it's costing his team. And it's costing his players. And it's hurting the fans because, hey, they know they have a talented team with a very good quarterback. But they have been unable to play more consistent football down the stretch when it really matters. So it's just, it's aggravating for me, but this Mert, this extension, it could have come at a better time because you know, Jackson, it, it seems like they're going to go with the Kirk cousins route where they're going to franchise sag him multiple times. And then they'll sign his extension, which is nothing wrong with that. To be honest with you, like it, it's worked out fine with Minnesota, but, or with, it worked out early on in Cousins' career when he was showing, hey, I'm at least a top 15 quarterback in this league, at least. And so getting the Murray done now, Murray deal done now allows for the Chargers and the Bengals to kind of see like, oh, this is the type of market Herbert and Joe Burrow are going to be getting. I could definitely see both Burrow and Herbert not only going above 50 million per year, but they may hit the 60 million per year. They may hit that. And one of them may end up getting a $300 million contract. It's bound to happen. And of course, redacted in Cleveland is gone entirely fully guaranteed money. Why? Because the Browns just love just wanting to get their elite quarterback and go out to win a Super Bowl, even though he's, uh, yeah, off the field. So it, it it's a good, it's good for Arizona, but there are risks. There are definitely risks. I, I'm, I, 
I feel like I'm worrying a little bit too much about the risks, but I feel like those are valid concerns though, because we saw, we saw what happened with Jared Goff. He looked like he was going to be a good quarterback, then completely flopped. And now Los Angeles, I didn't, I don't think they really paid the price because I mean, they did get plenty of good out of the trade with Detroit. I mean, they, they get their Super Bowl winning quarterback. So, but I, I'm just worried about that risk, Devin. That that that's kind of what's making me a little hesitant about this deal. But overall, it seems good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think you can't really go wrong with whatever route you decide. I mean, for Arizona, like I said, they're kind of in a position where they can't really, you know, afford to, you know, flirt with the idea of not having Murray. Cause I mean, the alternative is, you know, probably Corbett purgatory. I mean, you, you don't find top 15 starters in the NFL that can, you know, or, or has his, his skill set. I mean, there's only a handful of guys in the NFL that can do what he does, you know, despite the height and everything. So mm-hmm. I think for them, it, this was a must-do deal. But also you have to think about, you know, like I said, like I was saying earlier, uh, other quarterbacks are going to have their extensions coming up. So mm-hmm. you want to try and, and reset the market as, as quickly as you can. Um, and, and the Bengals kind of learned that the hard way with Jesse Bates, you know, uh, they saw what, uh, you know, other safeties were getting, obviously Derwin James was waiting out for to see, uh, you know, what type of money he can get. And he's probably going to get a big extension from the chargers, but the Bengals decided to go around not paying Jesse Bates. So, you know, you see kind of the, what teams are, or, or how their team building is going because Joe Burrow's extension is coming up too. So you, you got to save money for that if you're the Bengals. Mm-hmm. So when you have a young quarterback, uh, obviously you try to maximize winning on that rookie contract. But when it's time to pay him, you want to try and do it early before every other team has to start paying their quarterbacks. All right. So I, I kind of want to ask you this question. I kind of want it, it's sort of more to have us think a little bit. Who do you think out of, just off the top of my head, out of these quarterbacks, do you think we'll get an extension sooner? Joe Burrow or guys that ha- that are on rookie deals that have shown that, hey, they're elite talents or they're guys that are coming up on contract years or are in a contract year. Um, there's Baker Mayfield. There's Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and, of course, Lamar Jackson. Which of those four do you think will get an extension first? My gut tells me it's either going to be Burrow or Herbert. Um, I think probably Herbert, though. I think he gets his first. Because um, for the for the Bengals, at the least, they want to make sure Joe Burrow stays healthy, obviously, this year. You know, because obviously his rookie season, he got hurt um, and didn't play at the same level he did this year. Mm-hmm. So I think Herbert probably gets it next because uh, we've seen high level playing from him from a couple of years. And, and you would probably expect more of the same. I mean, they're trusting him already uh, to uh, change the play calls and 
um, go for two on, on a number of, of after touchdowns and, and just seems like they're already all in on him. Not saying the Bengals aren't because they obviously made that clear by getting Jamar Chase. But yeah. I, I think for the Chargers, I think they're going to do that next. I think their checklist is take care of Derwin James and then take care of Justin Herbert. So I expect Herbert probably, if not, you know, if they don't already start the discussions before the start of training camp, I think by the end of the season, they'll, they'll already have those discussions in place and, and probably make him the highest paid quarterback before they keep resetting the market. I, I mentioned Baker Mayfield because I mean, he's in Carolina. There could always be a career resurgence for him in Carolina. Like he could go into Carolina and absolutely just go berserk. Like we saw in, like we've seen the flashes from Baker. We just don't know if that consistency will be there. Uh, if it is there, then Carolina may have their quarterback for at least the next two to three years. But who do you think between Burrow and Herbert will get $300 million total? I would have to say it has to be Herbert because mm-hmm. you think about – um, who the um, the Bengals have to pay? I mean, they they have to pay Jamar Chase still as well at some point. Um, yeah, you got to think about some of the some of the other. I mean, they're not re, they're at this current point. They're not trying to resign uh, Jesse Bates for for the money he wants. But there's going to be some other guys that that come up that need to be paid as well. I wonder what they're going to do with, when Joe Mixon's time to get paid comes around. Maybe they move on from him. So they got a lot of financial decisions to think about as well. I mean, obviously the Chargers do too, but I think with playing in L.A., I think they're more willing to pay the luxury tax uh, or you yeah. know be able to pay extra money uh, for to get these guys taken care of. So I think Herbert's probably going to get it first. Just because I think the Bengals had to probably maneuver their cap a little bit more to to pay him that much, yeah. I think the Chargers will have a less, I won't say uh, easier time, but I think it'll be less of a challenge for them. I could see the Bengals maybe like kind of spreading the money out in a sense, but like they they're adding more years to Burroughs' extension. Like it could end up being like a seven year extension potentially for Burrow. And that will allow like some he may not get like the 60 million per year, like I was mentioning, but he but it will allow for the Bengals to say, like, hey, we got our franchise quarterback, we got our elite quarterback. Now we can we paid him. Now we can focus on building the rest of the team around him. But I don't I I don't know if Cincinnati will I, I don't know if Burrow would be like be willing to say, "Hey, I can take forty million per year instead of sixty. But yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see. It, it'll be interesting to see for sure how all this plays out. All right, let's get to some, let's get to some summer scouting. I'm ready to get into some of the prospects we've watched over the last week or so. I want to start out with a prospect on my end, Jamar Gibbs. Um, Alabama running back. He just transferred from Georgia, from Georgia Tech. Um, I had a chance of watching him in person um, when Georgia Tech came to Clemson to play against them last year in the 14-9 to loss to them. 
And from watching that game live, plus the other games I've watched, I watched UNC, I watched UAB, um, not UAB, uh, University of Virginia. Um, this is a very, very dynamic football player. Um, former four-star recruit. He was a second-team freshman All-American in 2020. Um, this is as versatile of a player you're going to get at the at the position. Like, if you're looking for a running back that could ch- potentially challenge B. John Robinson for the RB1 spot, Gibbs might be that guy. He m- just might be. Uh, he was used so many different ways. Like he, he was returning kicks. He was utilized plenty out of the backfield. Um, he has good vision. He understands how to find space. Like he'll, he'll do a good job of pressing the line of scrimmage and then finding that open crease on the backside. He's an explosive player. I mean, against Virginia, he, Bursted through a gap, and he had probably, I would say, I'm sitting at my table at the table outside outside on the porch. It's about three feet, three four feet long. Prop. It was probably about half that size, and Gibbs just blasted through that gap, and he was gone. Like no one could catch him. Not a soul could catch him. He has that explosiveness that you look for at running back. He understands how to get his pads low and push through and power through contact. I, I, that's one of the things I like about him. And he is also a reliable wide receiver out of the backfield. Like I love running backs. I'm starting to have this little knack for running backs. That I'm like, Ooh, you can catch the ball well out of the backfield. You're you're a good football player in my book. You're you're a good running back um, on my board. You're a guy that can make an impact at the next level because you are reliable on third downs as a wide receiver uh, and as a blocker. A couple concerns I have though. He he does have a bit of an upright running style that it, it's it's correctable. But it's something I want to see improve. I think being at Alabama will improve that, in my opinion. Like, you're playing with Alabama and Nick Saban. They've had a history of producing incredibly talented running backs. There's no doubt in my mind that Gibbs can fix that, and he'll he'll, he'll be fine. The For people that may not know, if you're playing upright as a running back, if you're – if you – are sort of just having a upright running style that will leave you to the risk of getting hit big time. Like you are going to get your world rocked. And so it's important for a running back to keep, to have a low center of gravity and to keep his pads low. He gives us a good job of keeping his pads low, but his running style, I think could get a little bit of a tune up. Um, He's not the most powerful running back, even though he has shown some power. It's not like what we've seen with like if if anyone's watched Bijan Robinson lately, you're not going to get that type of running back. You're not going to get someone that's going to really truly lower the shoulders and run right through you. I don't think Gibbs is necessarily that type of running back, but 
what I saw with Gibbs makes me believe he can be one of the biggest risers for the upcoming draft class because you can tell like he has so much potential, so much talent. Was he underutilized in a way at Georgia Tech? Maybe, but I believe now he's with Alabama. Now he's with Bryce Young. He'll be utilized plenty, and he'll be util- he'll get a lot of touches. I think he's going to be one of their bigger playmakers, if not the biggest playmaker outside of Bryce Young. He's a talented football player. I'm excited to see how well he does this year and how he meshes with the offense. And he could end up being that next great Alabama running back that we talk about for years to come. Yeah, the crazy thing is that Alabama always has three, four deep running backs. And for him to come in, you know, from Georgia Tech, obviously, and and potentially be the starter, I mean, I I think that says a lot about not only his ability to run the football in between the tackles, but, you know, his receiving ability, too. I think that's going to be a part of his game that's utilized in, in Alabama's offense as well. So very excited to see. Um, for me, the first player I want to talk about is a uh, former Western Kentucky receiver. He's now a Penn State receiver, and that's Mitchell Tinsley, um, who, like I said, played for uh, Western Kentucky, but now is at Penn State. Um, first thing I noticed with him is that, you know, I feel like everyone talked about last year about Jarrett Stearns and, and what he was able to do, uh, you know, playing alongside Bailey Zappi. But I feel like Tinsley was the, the best um, well-rounded receiver. Um, you know, coming in, I knew that he had a couple of long catches against Michigan State, um, had a really nice reception, uh, plus yak against Indiana. So I knew that coming in, but I, I, I came away impressed with his route running ability, suddenness in and out breaks, and be able to uh, really transfer his weight and, and, you know, get in, get in and get out, uh, you know, as a receiver. So he played more of the and, and <clears throat> I don't think this is more of isn't a comparison, but this game reminds me a lot of what Sky Moore was able to do. I, I do think Tinsley was a bit more of an explosive athlete uh, and, and loose athlete than Moore, but they both play in uh, kind of the uh, shallow part of the field, <clears throat> short side, uh, but he, he runs pretty much every route you can think of. You know, the deep out, comeback, <clears throat> um, post, um, I, I think his curl route is probably the best. Uh, there was a play he had against Marshall where he turned the DB around two or three times, uh, you know, hitting the blind spots. And, and you always love to see that from not only a receiver, but uh, a group of five receivers. So, you know, him going to Penn State, I think, can, can continue to elevate. Obviously, they have Parker Washington, someone that uh, I was already high on coming into this season. Uh, and I think could could be uh, in the discussion as one of the top receivers. I think Tinsley is is uh, right now a, a, a nice mid-round target uh, for the NFL draft. I do think he's a bit on the smaller side. I think he was like six foot 195 while he was at Western Kentucky, so a little bit on the small side, like I said. But it it, it kind of the, the measurables kind of match up with what Jahan Dotson had coming out of Penn State last year. So I think he's going to kind of play that role where he can play on uh, the shallow parts of the field. He can play in the slot. And they're going to use him kind of all over the field to get open. The crossing routes is what, you know, something he could be pretty dangerous on as well. Uh, yak ability is there. 
And I really liked his releases at the line of scrimmage. He mixed it up. It wasn't just speed releases. It was, uh, you know, the stutter, uh, kind of the crossover release, uh, really trying to to keep defenders off balance. There was a couple of times he, he had against uh, Taiwan Mullen, who I'll talk about in a little bit, um, where, you know, he, he got pushed near the sideline. So I want to see his play strength get a little bit better. Um, you know, he high points the football, you know, was able to track it well. Um, so I want to see him be stronger through the dur- duration of Rouse getting hands off of the DBs. But I think he has all the tools you, tools you look for in in a every down receiver. I'm very excited to see what he does at Penn State, but but came away very impressed with what he was able to do at Western Kentucky. I want to get to my next prospect here um, that I've watched as of late. I, I've watched maybe – 14 prospects over the last week or so um, since our last podcast, because I kind of want to start, start speeding up the process a little bit since I'm getting closer to um, school starting for me in mid August. But next guy I want to talk about. And the last guy I want to talk about is Will Levis quarterback out of Kentucky. Devin talked about him um, a couple episodes ago. And I, I was like, I gotta get, I gotta get my eyes on this guy. And, you know, Dante, Dante Colinelli, I know he was a big fan of his. Um, I know, and of course you talked about him a little bit. This is a three-star recruit, regularly committed to Penn State. Um, Mind-blowing that he was never able to beat out Sean freaking Clifford for the starting job. And because of that, he ended up transferring from Penn State to Kentucky last season. And... What shocked me when I was doing some research is that he was voted team captain last year, which surprised me a good bit. I was like, wow, a guy that had just transferred in from a different school being voted team captain. You don't see that every day. That just goes to show the leadership skills and uh, and just what he brings to the table and what he does as a leader for that offense um 2800 yards last season 33 touchdowns 13 interceptions um he did play in a pro style offense that had a mixture of both zone reads um zone power plenty of west coast concepts like sim- a, a similar type of offense that we saw from the los angeles rams or uh San Francisco 49ers, New York Jets with um Ofer and with um uh, with McVay and also some other guys. So, you know, they're you know, Willis did show like he can play in a pro style offense. He is comfortable with playing under center. He he has done all that play action rollouts. He's done every little thing that you would want from a potential pro prospect. Um, his physical talent is incredible, absolutely incredible. Great size. He's 6'3", 232. He's got the prototypical size. He's got big frame. He has arguably the best arm in this draft, and you talked about it. Effort, effortlessly just being able to drive balls with incredible zip and velocity um, getting the ball from point A to point point B in a hurry. Um, 
he may be called sometimes he will be called at some point a sneaky athlete, but he is truly an athlete. He was impactful as a runner, especially when he had his number called on plenty of run plays. So he he made an impact he made an impact on the ground. Um he's shown and like I said earlier, has shown different experience has shown to have experience in different formations. His upper body mechanics are smooth and shine like they're just really nice, really clean. Um, he does offer some good shot, some good touch. He has flashed some good tempo when it comes to different types of throws he needs to throw. Um, he has flashed plenty of poise as well uh, when standing in the pocket and delivering throws. But here, here's the thing, Levis, that we all saw last year. He's a very raw quarterback. I mean, you talk about the areas that you would think – in the areas that he would need to improve, he needs to improve. Lower body mechanics, navigating the pocket, and sensing pressure more consistently. Staring down his targets, not reading the full field. Ball placement, um, improve, the ball placement needs to be improved. His accuracy needs to be more improved as well. I think he throws – I think he's more – it seems like he's trying to aim balls. Like he's trying to aim his targets more than just – just putting the ball where he needs to put it, not just aiming at it. He just, just throw it to the guy, just throw it, just throw a nice accurate ball to him with good tempo. And then of course, boys, he's flashed to boys, but it's inconsistent. So there's plenty of inconsistency with Levis, but this is another guy that, that I feel like, you know, if he can get that, this stuff, right. He's going to be a big riser in this quarterback class. You know, we saw Kenny Pickett rise. We saw Zach Wilson rise. We saw Joe Burrow rise. Like, Levis can be one of those quarterbacks that takes that next step to be a franchise quarterback, a potential franchise quarterback for the next level. But I think that he needs to really just clean a lot of stuff up before he is considered that. But of course, teams are going to fall in love with this big frame. He can run. He's got a big arm. He was the team captain. Like you're, you're going to see that he's got a great work ethic. All that, blah blah blah. Plus the arm talent. Plus the athleticism. You're going to see that teams will fall in love with his football acumen or his football intelligence, and they'll they'll just gloss all over that. And he may end up being a top five pick anyways, maybe a top 10 pick, but Levis has a ways to go. And like I said before, like I just said a moment ago, if he gets at least some of these things more, if he does more of these things more consistently, more consistent, lower body mechanics, being able to consistently navigate the pocket and be able to sense pressure better and also being able to just ha- offer much more consistent poise, you're getting yourself a really good quarterback for the next level that you can develop and then start towards the end of his rookie campaign or the next year um, in year two of his rookie contract. So, Devin, I want your quick thoughts again on Will Levis. Um, I, I feel like we're kind of in the same boat with Levis that you know he's got the talent but it's he's just a really raw quarterback 
Yeah, he, he's <clears throat> he's one of those wild cards. You know, every year we have, you know, a couple of wild cards uh, in, in the quarterback class. Like, I mean, you, you see a path where he can be an early round quarterback. You know, you see the throws he's able to make and, you know, just the, the natural arm talent. But then, you know, you're also left a little underwhelmed with what he does, you know, because he, he – you know, he does not make great decisions all the time with the football. You know, I think that's his biggest knock right now is that, you know, it's his first full year actually starting at quarterback, you know, being able to have – don't have to look over your shoulder and worry about that because he did at Penn State. Um, so you kind of take that with a grain of salt, but you, you got to take care of the football at a, at a much higher rate. You know, and, and the interceptions weren't – it's not even like the interceptions were like, you know, coming off tip passes. I mean, they were like blatant, you know, yes. late throws. Yes. So I think that comes with the learning curve. You try to figure out what you can get away with and what you can't. And I think he kind of learned that now it's about not only consistency, but teams know how to defend you now. You have a year full of tape on SEC, uh, on the SEC teams. They've been preparing for you all summer now. What else can you can you bring to the table? Are you going to be able to use your athleticism to make more plays? Because I think, that's going to be his biggest thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Can he do better off script, you know, and, and making and throws playing, on the work? And he's playing against Georgia, and he's playing against Georgia this year. I mean, they're in the same division in the SEC, so like he he flashed plenty against Georgia, and Dante kind of showed that on his Twitter timeline plenty uh, during this previous offseason where. Like Levis was making some damn good throws against Georgia's defense, which is quite honestly one of the great defenses in college football history. So, will Levis be more? Will be better this year? It'll, it'll time will tell. Time will tell when it comes to Will Levis and his progression this upcoming season. Um, Devin, I know you got one more prospect you want to talk about and get out of the way before uh, we head out here. Yeah, so uh, Taiwan Mullen from Indiana, the defensive back. Um, you know, he's a player that I've kind of kept tabs on since 2019. Uh, actually talked about it a little bit uh, on the podcast with Mike, our final one, that, you know, he's one of the players that, you know, we kept tabs on because uh, we were coming to Big Ten exclusively. It was like him, David Bell, and Wondell Robinson were like the three guys that, you know, were freshmen, were already making a name for themselves. So fast forward a couple of years later, Taiwan Mullen entering his senior season at Indiana, um, and he's coming off a, a somewhat rough 2021 campaign. I do think overall, he I mean, you look at his numbers, he still had a pretty good season, but watching the film, there's a lot more breakdown in coverage, man coverage, um, you know, getting beat in in allowing his man get to get behind him. And overall, Indiana wasn't a great, uh, you know, school last year. You know, they, they really struggled um, after, you know, two years of, of frankly, overachieving. Um, but I think with Mullen, that, that kind of played hand in hand with it. Uh, he's a bit on a smaller side. I think he's measured in like 5'10 or 5'11". Um, under 200 pounds, probably projects as a nickel at the next level. I think, you know, the the size issue is, is a big thing. And, and against those bigger, stronger receivers, he, he struggled uh, at the catch point. But overall, he still was able to, to locate the football, uh, 
He's in the the Mullen family uh, that's produced several NFL players now. Uh, Trayvon Mullen mm -hmm. uh, being one of them. So he has former Clemson Tiger baby. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um. So he has, you know, the NFL bloodlines, you know, in his family, and it it shows the way he plays. He's he's one of those those guys that will is a willing tackler in the run game, a uh, very physical player through, throughout the, the route. I uh, mentioned uh, with Mitchell Tinsley earlier uh, that he pushed him into the sideline and then got the, the pass breakup. So you, you see a lot of the, the physicality ability to uh, transition and, and get out in and out of his stance very quickly. I just worry that, you know, one, I think he has pretty good long speed, um, I don't think it's elite, which kind of worries me putting him out on the island, which is why I like him a little bit more in slot. There was a play yeah. he made his freshman season uh, against K.J. Hamler uh, right down the middle of the field. Uh, Sean Clifford threw a, a deep pass. He stayed in his hip pocket and then at the last minute deflected away. So he can he can guard the smaller, speedy, fast guys, you know, and that's why I think he's a perfect fit for for a nickel mm -hmm. scheme. Um, and I think he that's where he's going to project. But but I think overall, I, I think right now I probably give him a day three grade just based off of last year's film, uh, plus his size. I, I don't know if he's a plus starter on, on outside the numbers, but he, he does a really good job blitzing from the nickel position. And, and that's why I think I see him as more of a nickel as, as opposed to an outside corner. But I do think he's a, a draftable player, uh, probably one of Indiana's best prospects coming into the year. Uh, I think him and Micah McFadden, the linebacker, two guys to, to watch on that team. But I think Mullen is, is really has the goods to be a good corner. Um, I'm just more interested to see, especially this year, how does he do against the Michigans, uh, you know, Penn State, um, some of the, the bigger, the teams with yeah. uh, marquee receivers, Ohio State. I think that mm -hmm. Ohio State game, this year is going to be a big uh, it's going to be big for him because you're so, facing you're facing Jackson Smith the Jigba, Marvin Harrison, Julian Fleming, Mickey um Ikbaka. I mean you're oh Ohio I anytime I just list out all those names, man, I just ooh so many good receivers. I can't wait. And I can't wait to watch Marvin Harrison when he's draft eligible. I'm so excited. That uh but it, it definitely sounds like Mullen does not need to be playing in a cover three scheme on an island with having responsibilities for one third of the field. I mean, I wouldn't be comfortable playing Mullen there. I'd rather have him covered the flats if you're playing more cover three like that. But um, yeah, the Mullins. Yeah, also uh, Raheem Jarrett as well from Maryland. Uh, he's going to be playing against him. This year as well, so it's yes. very interested to see. He has a he has a stretch where he's playing Michigan, Maryland, Penn State, and Ohio State over the course of five weeks. So I think that's really going to determine, you know, how high he can go one, and then two if he can stick on the outside or not. You know, because there, I mean, there's times where he can do it. You know, and yeah. he ha he has the athletic ability to, but. I just, like I said, I just worry, is he going, would I say he's one of the best, if he comes into the league, can he get one of those 64 starting corner spots? I don't know. It, he, you know? he seems, so. it seems like you feel like his, you definitely feel like his natural position is 
more nickel from the sounds of it. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's like he is their best corner. So obviously he's going to play on the outside, but they do put him in nickel positions sometimes, you know, yeah. they'll throw him in the nickel and, and he, it just seems like a natural fit. So I, that's where, where I think he, he can thrive, especially at the NFL level. There was one guy I wanted to talk about, but I know we don't have a lot of time to talk about or barely any time to um, is Parker Washington, wide receiver from, from Penn State. I'm in the middle of his – that can't speak tonight. I'm in the middle of his evaluation right now. His summary eval um, was trying to get it done before t- uh, tonight's podcast, today's podcast. Unfortunately, it wasn't able to get it done, but I'm very impressed with what Parker Washington brings to the table. Um, I know Kyle Krabs is a big fan of his. Um, I know you, you covered him for at least mid, like what – maybe a year when you were um, when you were over at college station. Yeah. Parker Washington is, he's a dude. He is definitely a dude. He might, I, I, I'm not going to, I don't know if he'll be drafted as high as Jahan Dotson was, but he has that. He has the talent and the athleticism to like, Oh, this, this guy could go in the first 50 picks potentially. Um, but again, this is, we're in, it's July. What what's today? July twenty second. Um, as we are recording this, things can change between now, between now and April of next year. Parker Washington may not even be considered a top fifty selection, but he has the talent. If he is given a high volume of targets, I believe he's going to produce. But I'm still working on his evaluation. I may end up talking about him on the next episode of the podcast. And guys, we will see you then. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back with more summer scouting next week. And training camp is pretty basically fully underway by the time we record next week. So I think Devin and I may may try to talk about some um, storylines for both of our favorite teams, the Panthers and the Saints. I'll be I'll definitely be at a Panthers training camp practice session, hopefully within the next week or two. So looking forward to that, but guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Peace.